Hello and welcome back to Talking Leadership. Thanks for joining us again. And today I'm speaking with Ron Spatiri. Ron wears a couple of hats. He is the director at TXM Lean Solutions and is also the managing director of the Best Practice Network. As always, thank you for supporting the podcast and I'll hand over to Ron. Hey, Ron, thank you for joining us. G'day, Eric. Pleasure being here. Thanks very much for, for inviting me along. Your leadership and its beginnings. Can you take us back to when things all kicked off for you, mate? I had a whirlwind introduction to this, this sphere of leadership, which really continued through the, through the first couple of decades of my career. Uh, I only really stopped and reflected on, on my leadership beginnings and evolution when I first ventured into the world of consulting. The uh, reason I did this was, was really to assess whether I was ready for the significance of being entrusted by business owners to guide them through to realising their potential, personally, professionally and organisationally. And that really had me sit back and go, am I, am I up to the role of uh, being able to guide people in that way? From my, my beginnings, uh, career beginnings, I started my career as an aeronautical engineer with Hawker de Havilland in New South Wales. In fact, Hawker de Havilland uh, took me on as an engineering cadet, which meant I completed my engineering degree while gaining the practical experience as a ground engineer. Aerospace industry was one that I had a lot of passion for, and I'd always known that I was wired as an engineer, so it become the natural natural evolution for me. Uh, through fortune of timing, I actually got seconded by Hawkers to Boeing within three months of completing my uh, final undergraduate exam my degree. Um, I'm very fortunate. I had uh, my family and I, um, young family at that stage. My son was only uh, was only three months old as well. So I, I finished my exams um, around about the time of his birth. So uh, my wife, myself, my uh, my young son, we got shipped off to Seattle and we got to work within the Boeing 777 design team. And as a aeronautical engineer, obviously that, that becomes the, the dream realized very quickly in your career. I was thrown into the deep end with this. I was given a, uh, an assignment to complete a design package and I was given six months to complete it, which meant I had to learn how to use the, uh, the, the uh, CAD systems that were, were in use as well as how to be an engineer and working on all those sorts of wonderful systems. But the great thing was it was, uh, it was an experience that, that really went, went well for me in terms of um, developing my, my technical competence, but also really adapting to the, the pressures of being in a work environment. Um, on completion, I was rewarded by Hawkers with a, a secondment extension that had me remain in Seattle with Boeing, uh, serving as their as their uh, engineering representative for the next year. Um, and once again, through fortune of timing, uh, whilst I was in Seattle, Boeing launched their plans to develop the next generation 737. And for some some strange reason, Hawkers entrusted me to to seek out and win our participation in design and manufacture for this aircraft which pleasing it was successful. Um, so we did get assigned a, a work package. In doing so, I was then thrust in the start of my leadership journey. So less than two years graduated, uh, but Hawker de Havilland and Boeing declared their confidence in me by assigning me the role of design lead for our work package. At the point now, I, at this stage, I didn't share their confidence. I thought it was, I thought it was a little bit too immature to be doing something uh, of that significance. However, they obviously had the confidence. And um, you know, part of the lack of confidence that I had was just the sheer fact of my introverted nature. And this whole idea of, of stepping up to something um, so green was, uh, was a little bit frightening. But the opportunity was there and it's something that I couldn't say no to. Um, so given that, I, I had a role that saw me leading the design development from our work package as also, also 
managing a team of highly experienced engineers, who in all honesty, they, they did not see that I had the right to be their leader. Uh, obviously, how, how young I was in my career, they didn't consider that I was the technical expert. So um, it's where I, I really had to learn to develop my leadership skills to ensure that I got success out of the team. Unfortunately for me, I never considered that my career would be dominated by leadership roles. So given that, I never really had any historical focus on developing my leadership skills. And I didn't even have any strong leadership mentors in my life. So at this point, I was really starting from scratch. I had no reference point to go from. Um, it was, uh, you're there, make it work. So it was an interesting start to the process. Um, look, over the, over the course of the next decade, I've got to say that I found that the managers that I reported to always seemed to have more confidence in me than I had in myself. They also seemed to recognize some skills that I had that I wasn't so aware of, and I didn't recognize them as, um, as, as particular skills that I had. But the reason that, it, uh, that helped me is uh, every 18 months or so, I would be assigned to, to lead another department or business unit within the company. And it was a case of each time I would, I would get assigned a business unit, there was something a little strange about it. And, and as I reflected back, I realized that I kept given, being given um, tasks where the, the team or the business unit, the department was in a state of chaos. And basically, they sent me in there and they said, go fix it. And pretty much the, the depth of the, uh, the assignment to me each time was go fix it. I actually really enjoyed that. Like, I mean, it, it, it was, I always found I was, you know, I was progressing through doing things that were, you know, well beyond what should have been what I was doing. I very quickly become part of the senior leadership team within a multinational business. To be honest with you, I was still being paid as though I was just a few years graduated, but, uh, you know, I took it on as this is the opportunity here, right? And, and, I, and I always got um, enthused by that opportunity. Um, but I also realized that through the course of these assignments, um, I, I developed a business transformation technique that really allowed me to quickly and sustainably evolve the focus, capability, capacity, performance of the business unit. Um, and on reflection, I realized that I, I had a tendency that whenever I started a new assignment, I would set about creating an aspira aspirational business unit strategy and the values that, that we as a team would live by. And doing that, I, it allowed me to develop a culture within the business unit that was either consistent with or, in all honesty, more often than not, superior to that of the broader organization. It enabled to confidently uh, also exit the business or, the, or that team or that business unit, having a successor lined up. So I always developed my leadership team so that uh, when it was time, uh, I would move on and there would be someone internal that I would be able to pass on onto and they would be able to continue with that stability. Again, as I reflected on that, I, I found that I would, I would obviously visibly get very jittery when things become stable and routine within the, uh, within the roles that I was doing. And I'd, I'd probably inadvertently go and seek out my next assignment. And that become, you know, that whole business transformation cycle become the the basis of my career. Um, even though through all of this, you know, I had long tenures within multinational companies, but those multinational companies had a whole range of different roles that were available to them in different departments. Um, so for me, as a director of TXM Lean Solutions now, and also Best Practice Network, I've got the fortune uh, of having a career that, that's dominated by my focus of leadership. Um, so it is something that is 
I would say is the essence of what I do day in, day out is all about leadership. You know, within TXM as operational excellence consultants, uh, we, we live to lead and coach businesses such that they're capable of sustainably realising their potential. And best practice network, that's focused on inspiring businesses to challenge their current paradigms and then supporting them to succeed in those. Um, often the hardest part of the sales pitch when I go and see businesses, particularly small, medium-sized enterprises, um, you know, businesses that are that are family owned and run multi-generational in some cases they've been you know it's been passing through the generations um, it's that process of of selling them the dream and to me the success around being able to sell the dream is really drawing on those leadership competencies to be able to get someone to really support that without really knowing what it is however the most rewarding part about what we do now is seeing the business realize those dreams people in businesses will spot talent and will start to prod that talent to move up and do different things and not necessarily give you every reason why they're doing it other than to say that they see something in you that potentially you don't. That's always a frustration to me because if it's visible to the rest of the world, why the hell isn't isn't it visible to you? Because uh, you could do something with that a lot earlier in a career than not. Leadership's always a choice. So you could have made a choice early in your career that, you know, it'd be great to do that, but I just want to work on the technical stuff. And you could have made that choice, but you didn't. So obviously the desire to do something more than what you were doing initially took your fancy, I guess. Is that is that fair call, Ron? Yeah, it's actually quite quite interesting um, as you go through that. So, you know, for me, I mentioned that I always considered I was going to be an engineer um, and that's the way I was wired. I, I did have a number of, I guess, op- options available to me in terms of which way I went from a, uh, a study standpoint, but it seemed to be that it was always going to be engineering because that's, that's just, I just knew that that's, that's the way that that's what excited me is the engineering aspect and and what I bring it down to more more than anything and the skill that is that is most transferable in that in terms of leadership is the core ability to problem solve and that becomes I guess the dominant skill that I use time and time again to be able to navigate through all these challenges so one of the things that Boeing recognized is a lot of engineers are terrible managers they just do not have that competence to lead people. For those listening, I don't uh, support any of the views expressed by Ron Spateri <laughs> there about engineers. Um, this is Ron's view, but I, I get that. And look, Ron, before you go on, and just so I can be clear on this, do you believe that people in highly technical roles aren't necessarily naturally good at leadership only because they don't have the skill sets yet to do that, so they don't have the toolkit to give it a go? Because I, I think it's unfair. Um, and I've, I've heard this said before that, let's let's look at a Ron Spateri that didn't have all these options and you were say 20 years into a highly technical engineering career and then suddenly Eric Perez comes along who's your manager said Ron you're going to step up mate next month you're in a job you're going to be managing 20 people best of luck to you I don't give you training I don't give you professional development opportunities and I'm just expecting you to do it I don't think it's on you I think it's on me as the leader that I haven't given you the opportunity to grow so do you think there's a degree of unfairness there to suggest that people in 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 highly technical roles necessarily won't make good leaders certainly it's never all (laughs) (laughs) but but what i'm what i'm getting at there is look i i deal with a lot of engineers right engineering types so going back to you know is it something they haven't been given the opportunity one of the previous podcasts that we did eric you know we spoke about a leader's born or made 
and my, my view then is still my view now. I think the capacity to lead is something that you're born with. I think there are those attributes and skills that you're capable of doing it that not everyone does have it. And then there's a series of decisions that you make and opportunities that you're afforded and development that you go through, which is really driven by that, that decision in the first place, whether you do go down the path of leadership and the, and the type of leader you become. What Boeing had done, Boeing recognised that they would have a lot of very, very capable technical engineers that felt that their only career progression was to go into a management stream because that's what the career progression was. And they would, they would move into a management stream even though they had no leadership competence at all, nor did they have the capacity to become leaders. And it would, and it would actually you know, they would be promoted to their point of incompetence. What Boeing had done instead is they, they developed a career progression that was purely technical and how someone who is technically minded could still progress through the rank in their seniority in their uh, technical application. And I think that was a recognition of this very fact that there's a level of passion that comes with the role that you take, that you do well, and not everyone is suited to do so, but that doesn't mean that everyone, that there's only one stream to get you that that recognition of, of the, you know, the capability that you have and the, the standout performance that you're able to deliver. We could go down the rabbit hole of technical versus non-technical and how <laughs> people get promoted. And it's, it's, a, it's a necessary conversation because I don't believe that people get to the role of leadership through osmosis, through what they learn or the positions that they've held previously. I'm always interested when somebody says that, yeah, leadership is something that you're born with. I could find many that would have a, a, a quite an interesting discussion on the opposite side of that. And I think it lends itself to an interesting debate about where we actually lie with that. I'm I'm somewhere in the middle. I think that there are some people that have that when I say X factor, I think that they're born with some skills and, and capabilities that will get them there. And then there's some that can be developed and what maybe is the mitigating factor and whether or not this is true of all industries, I, I can't say yes, but I think it's right place, right time sometimes can um, give you the opportunity. And then even when you get there, and this is the bit that I still think is relevant for all leaders is you make a choice to take on these roles or not. You don't have to lead if you don't want to. And Absolutely. and it, it makes the whole conversation uh, that, that much more nuanced and interesting, which leads me to our next topic area, Ron, is your definition of leadership. So in, in 200 words or less, how do you define leadership? Okay. So leadership. So I, I see leadership as being a a role, skills that define strategic direction and the culture required to deliver on the direction. And then within leadership, within that skill set, there is the ability to lead, which encompasses that ability to influence and guide others to behave in a particular way. So for me, you know, culture is the accumulation of behavioural norms. And that's where, you know, the ability to, to influence and guide others in the way that they behave creates the cultural norms which link back into the culture that leadership is set to drive. And just for a little bit of context to that, so I, I do prescribe to the thought that leadership and management skills are different. And the way that you blend those leadership and, and management skills depends on the role that, that you have. Different people are, by the nature of their role, more driven towards management activities as a, as a dominant part of the way they spend their time. Others, it's more around the leadership side of things. It really depends on the role that you, you take. Um, but the ability to lead, so that's a, 
That's a skill that can thrive where there is no management responsibilities at all that exist for the individual. But for example, I come across plenty of machinists, painters, boilermakers that are exceptional leaders and as a result have an exceptional influencing skill, even though they've got no authority or accountability around that. But they are great leaders and they are able to influence others. Sometimes, you know, we come across these individuals and they're considered to be obstructive naysayers within the business. You know, they prevent initiatives from realizing their potential. To me, they become really important stakeholders in any business transformation because they're the ones that if you convert them, then their innate leadership capability or their ability to lead will have a, a powerful impact on those that have a tendency to follow them. So they they migrate towards that goal that is set. And that's where, so I look at, you know, leadership is about, leadership you need to, it's got to be about the where to, where you're going. And in a lot of cases, it's about creating that, creating that strategic vision, having the foresight to say, this is where we are going, but also understanding and then following through with the, the culture that delivers upon that. Of interest to me, given your background, and here is where we get into the the bit that I like about this process. And because I'm talking about you now, not someone else's definition of this. So this is all Ron Spateri here. Is that you have walked in the world of the technical and the non-technical, the non-leader and the leadership roles in your career. So you didn't go immediately into formal leadership. I guess it was something that was thrust upon you as you went as you went through. In that pathway, your views of leadership change. So if I said to you, ask Ron Spateri at 25 what leadership is to how old you are now, and I want to ask you how old you are, but let's say you 20 years ago, do you think you would have given a different response? I would have. I would have because I, at that stage, I didn't, I didn't understand what leadership was. As I said before, it wasn't an environment where I had a, uh, expressed a particular interest or desire to get my head around it and, uh, and really, you know, uh, unpick and decode what leadership was all about. So I, I probably would have struggled to explain what it was and how it formulated. It would have been a case of I probably I probably would have said leadership is is around just you know working hard and earning your right for for people to follow you. And you know that's pretty much what I knew at that stage. I focused a lot on on earning the respect of my team and being very genuine about what I was trying to achieve. So as I, I mentioned before about the the transformational model that I would adopt. And I didn't know why I was doing it at the stage, but it's just the way I used to do things. Even, like I said, within a, a you know, large, very well-developed um, organization, um, I always had this tendency to basically put the business unit into a bit of a bubble and in, intentionally develop our strategic plan. Where do we want to go? Where do we need to be? What are, what are our values going to be? How do we want our culture? How do we want our team to behave? So very process focused? More around aligning on a shared vision. So what I what I always found for myself was ensuring that we're all speaking about the same thing was really important to me. So it's a case of there's no need for no need for everyone to get into the detail of it all, but as long as we know the direction that we're heading and and there's an anchor for us to go to, then it become a lot easier to have a conversation with a whole range of people. You know, and, and so I had a, a time in my career, you know, fairly early on that I had, you know, 250 people reporting to me across two sites. I had a, you know, virtually no infrastructure in place between those teams. And one of the teams on one of the sites, it, it came out of a, you know, very 
I guess, a, an industrially sensitive environment. Not a very collaborative work, workplace to be, but the need to get everyone aligned on we're going to head down a direction. And being able to have those conversations with people and get them aligned was a challenging thing without having the definition of that alignment. And I mentioned that I like to, to transform quickly. So to me, a full organizational transformation would be, you know, the you'd get you'd get 80% of the way through it within 12 months. And then it would be a case of substantiating and, and stabilizing over the next six, which for a lot of businesses would be considered a little bit aggressive. But to me, that was the time frame that I always set myself. Again, no real, no real science behind that. It was just the, uh, the cycle that I got to. 18 months seems like a long time to me when you say that might be quick for some organizations. That doesn't yeah, that, that seems like a long time to me. Like I would have thought, could you do a, an org transformation in 12 months? Could you do it? Like, does it depend on the size of the organization? Yeah, well, it obviously depends on what your start point is, right? So where, where your current state is, your start point. But yeah, 12, 12 months is where you get through the bulk of that transformation, right? And you are talking about not only the you know, process changes and performance changes, but also the cultural changes and the and the development of the structure around sustainability. That is a rapid rate to, to move with that type of uh, that type of transformation. I haven't coined the phrase, but I use it in the podcast here, the, the lonely road of leadership. So is it a lonely pathway or is it as lonely as you make it? Yeah, it's an, it's an interesting one, Eric. So I, I believe that, that leadership Leadership is a lonely road, but leading is well inhabited. So to elaborate, you know, the, the establishing strategic direction and really identifying what it is that you need to create. So that's a, a process that can and needs to be quite collaborative. But at the end of the day, it needs an individual to provide their full conviction to it. So I always believe that, you know, it, it's not something that can be delegated, it must be owned. So that whole definition around what is the desired culture and the values, what is the strategic direction, it can be a little lonely in pulling that together. However, once the direction and the boundaries are set, leading is a, uh, a process that requires engagement, communication, inspiration, which means it must touch everyone, which means the highly populated environment. So I think there's two stages to that. In the formative stage, it takes a lot of reflection and that personal conviction that this is where we're going and, and this is why. True leadership and setting those strategic directions, the whole idea is it's not more of the same. So you've got to really challenge what could be. So that, to me, if you use the terminology lonely road, um, I think that can be a lonely side of it all because you really got to make sure that you've got that full buy-in to what it is, what it is. And you don't, you don't just walk away from the accountability of that. But beyond that, it can't be lonely, right? Because the whole idea of leadership is that uh, it's all about bringing people with you. If you're a believer that the buck stops with the leader, essentially, because they have to make, sorry, he or she will have to make a decision that that decision is often not done by consensus. Sometimes you just have to make that call. And so, and that also includes wearing the consequences of those decisions, but you wouldn't have leaders if that wasn't necessarily the case. So Ron, can I ask you about uh, measuring success? Now, this is success as a leader uh, within your organization. So what are the metrics, the measures of success for you? The measures of success, I think from a leadership standpoint, how aspirational those future goals are would be a, a key measure of success. But probably more importantly, 
when I when I measure the success of leadership, I measure it through the, the discretionary effort of the individuals that are being led. So that is the, the unseen moment. And that's really a tie back to the cultural element of, of leadership. So for me, you know, exceptional leadership is reflected by a team collectively and individually working hard to achieve an end state that they don't really fully understand, but they believe it's the right thing to do. And the, the reason they believe it's the right thing to do is because their leader told them it was the right thing to do. And, and good leadership is being able to put forward a, an outcome that, that your team don't necessarily understand at this stage, but your conviction and your structure is such that they are willing to commit to it and do their bit to achieve it. And like I said, from a cultural standpoint, the most important thing in terms of behaviours is around those unseen moments where those individuals have got a, a decision to make and the decision is really uh, they can draw on their understanding of where we are going to really come up with the right, the right outcome for it all. So in comparison to that, if I look at management and we talk about the difference between leadership and management, management's all about you know, achieving those defined goals or targets, right? So it's going to be, you know, what's the, what's, what's the profitability? What's the delivery performance? It's the management side of things is how do we, uh, how we utilize those resources to execute on the plans that we have. Very different to me in terms of the management attributes that you have versus the leadership requirements that are set. You, you mentioned a couple of times now that the difference between management and the leadership function. I, I think like you, they're two separate things, but in the leadership space in particular, if your management core do not see themselves necessarily as leaders, and that's a whole different debate, I think good leaders have what I think it's a, um, it's a, it's a combined view of the leadership functions of leadership and the managerial functions of leadership. And they're two very different things that a leader can perform managerial functions, but that's not necessarily leadership. Whereas your leadership functions, so your visioning, your strategic vision, your capability to sort of um, to picture possible different futures, your ability to communicate and influence. So your ability to influence, these are leadership capabilities, which segues nicely into the next area. And I, I think you touched on these in the last podcast we did, but I want to see if the list is any different given that I'm just talking to you now. Leader capability. So what are the, are the, are the key Ron Spiteri gold leader capabilities that, that are essential for effective leadership? I'm not, and, and please don't get me wrong, I'm not saying whatever list you come up with is the definitive list because we could argue for years as to what is the most important. And that's not the purpose of this. I'm just trying to get a handle on what those capabilities look like amongst different leaders. So over to you, Ron. Yeah, so look, I, I think that there are some key capabilities that, uh, that leaders need to have. I think the start point in all of this is around that foresight and the ability to think strategically. A leader, as you said before, needs to make the hard decisions around where is it that we are going. And going back to the you know, the loneliness of leadership, the direction, it, it, it's got to fall on the shoulders of the leader on where we are going. So that foresight, the ability to think strategically is absolutely vital capability and competence within a leader. Um, linked to that is, is the openness to take input and feedback. So it's not a case of, I'll come up with the answer, leave me alone. 
the collaboration, the ability to evolve your thought through the input and the feedback from others through the collaboration, uh, that becomes a really important attribute to have so that you don't get blindsided by your own ignorance. Then it comes to the third core capability, I believe, is again, going back to one of the points that you made earlier on, is just purely that ability to make the hard decisions and have the conviction about those decisions. I guess for me, you know, when I look through my career, I've uh, I've been in situations many a time where I've had to make very difficult decisions because they do have a direct impact on you know individuals' livelihoods. But the the worst thing you can do is is not make the right decision and just procrastinate. It does not do it does not do justice to the individual or the uh, the people around them. So having the ability to make the hard decisions and having the conviction to stand by those. Is a, is a vital capability that leaders need to have. The ability to inspire and create an environment of trust and respect. That's a no-brainer as far as I'm concerned when it comes to leadership. Again, going back to my previous points around getting, you know, getting people to, to, to have their, their conviction to do something and achieve something even though they don't quite understand it, that is a direct outcome of inspiration and trust and respect. Then I go down the path of communication. And particularly when it comes to communication, it's that understanding of the, of the ratio. We have two ears, one mouth. So communication, I see good leaders can communicate expectations, but then, then listen, listen and support. How do we enable those individuals to, to deliver on the vision that you have set? And finally, I, I believe that leaders need to be values driven. So if you don't have it to your core, that you truly do believe where it is that you're taking it, you'll find that a little bit of stress and off moment will start to crumble that very easily. So you've got to be values driven and you've got to live by those values. Interesting, uh, interesting set of capabilities there. And, and it, it's interesting to hear that there's a mix of the people and individual focused and I think always a mix is a is a good thing. I'm still in my own head, sort of trying to mull through if I had to set what are the the foundational leadership capabilities of which everything else is built. I, I have some thinking around that, but it's maybe I'll, I'll share that at another time. Ron, this has been an interesting discussion, but before I go, a couple of things. Looking back on your leadership pathway, what would you say to a younger version of yourself about being a more effective leader? I guess the the benefit of hindsight, I think my advice would be for me to have confidence in my ability and take risks. So as I said, I it wasn't a pathway I believed I would go down early in my career. And as a result, you know, things evolved as they did. Uh, I I think I would have probably uh, shortcut a few things that I'd done. I had a little bit more confidence in my own ability, confidence in what I was doing and took a few more risks. So yeah, that'd probably be the key thing that I would put to myself. Uh, Ron, the other thing I'd, I'd like to ask you is you do work as a director with uh, TX. TXM Lean Solutions. So give us a bit of an overview of what uh, what you do and what the organization does. So TXM, we, we basically, our focus is helping businesses and their staff realize their potential. So we, you know, our, our dominant focus is really around small, medium-sized businesses, probably a core industries or core segments that we look after are the manufacturing and distribution um, in terms of the, the, the bulk of our customer base. But what we're capable of doing is really help guide those businesses to, to realize their potential and uh, overcome the blockages. And it's quite, you know, something that what I'm most proud of in our business 
Um, we are a very values-based business. What I'm almost proud about is just the sheer conviction that the entire team has on creating success within our customer base. Uh, and that success is all the way from the, the personal journey that individuals within the business go through, through to the overall performance of the business and the direction that they head through. Our process is really, it's working with the team themselves. It's a very people-oriented transformational process that we engage in. Ron, thank you for your time. For those listening, this has been Talking Leadership. I've been talking to Ron Spateri. Ron, again, thank you very much. Thank you, Eric. Been a pleasure. Again, thank you for joining us on the podcast and looking forward to more conversations around this thing called leadership. Thanks again, and we'll catch you all on the next podcast.